With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number everyone you're listening to battle red radio i'm matt weston and tonight i'm joined by the biggest the fattest the drunkest of them all our good pal bfd how are you doing tonight man look i've got my already got one beer in me here's number two right yeah. now in my hands so we might get a little you know a little alcohol fueled fun tonight good i got two <laughs> sleeves down may roll up one sleeve roll up the other maybe cut a few off uh, I drink some coffee at like seven thirty, which is which will help things as well too. But so to start off, you know, it's the midway part point of the NFL season. All everybody's talking about is trades, maybe around draft picks, how teams out there can get better for the second half run, and the most important piece of this puzzle has come into place. Like this is the corner piece, the edge corner piece that uh, just what just came into place. But Alfred Blue was recently released by the Jacksonville Jaguars. So BFD, how how much money are you willing to give him? Uh, who do you think who do you think he signs with? What's a good fit for him? And you think the Texans are in the market for him? Look, I, I got to tell you, when I saw that he was released, I mean, I was shocked that we had like I was expecting like a release and then signing like back to back kind of thing, <laughs> like because you know Bill O'Brien's like sending Alfred Blue booty call text messages like every five you know ten minutes or so. I miss you, baby. I want you back. I miss you. Love you. Yeah, kind the, of stuff. The, those you up texts at you know two thirty a.m. <laughs> because you you just you, you know, and only this podcast will start with Alfred Blue as the top story and being a free agent and the possibility of signing him. But look, Tyrone Jones is as good as gone. Like once the second that Alfred Blue is healthy, we're gonna see him and he's gonna pick up like fifty to hundred carries the rest of the season. I just have no doubt. I can't wait to watch him run the ball in first and ten and like lose two yards every single play. Um, the other thing, I, I think the most fortunate thing about this offseason or this season right now is that the tight ends are healthy because you could have so seen Bill O'Brien trade like a seventh round pick for Ryan Griffin. Now that he's breaking out in New York, in New York, now that he's back in uh, back on the East Coast, you know, back home. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's like all of a sudden Ryan Griffin's like this total beast. Did we have this like potential Hall of Fame tight end on the roster all these years, and Bill <laughs> O'Brien just didn't know how to use him? I think that's what it is. I I, I I mean, he's had some open touchdowns too, where he like breaks one tackle and falls in the end zone, right? Because like they're covering everybody else, they don't even assume anything all about him. But <laughs> I'm like, I'm just so glad like that part of the offense is dead, just all the flat routes to the tight ends. Like I would gladly trade Carlos Hyde getting three point six eight yards on first down for the third and eight flat route dump ball passes to C.J. Fedoritz, Garrett Graham, Ryan Griffin, Alfred Blue, and so on and so forth into eternity. 
Yeah, I mean, if you just want to look at one thing that makes the Texans so much better in 2019 than 2018 is that our second running back, instead of being Alfred Blue, is Duke Johnson. I mean, just that alone is worth a third of a win. I mean, it's just such a big difference between those two guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't even remember. I think the stats last year were that Blue had uh, he averaged four yard he averaged four yards before the catch and point six yards after the catch. <laughs> On 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 his receptions, which is unbelievable, because he catches the ball with like five, no by around five yards of him, and he can make him by miss and get tackled. And you see Duke Johnson, like he had a, a nice game. I I pretty much like I almost benched Mike Evans in fantasy for Duke Johnson because like Duke Johnson can catch a touchdown pass today. That's at least ten points, and who knows what Evans does. And thankfully, I didn't do that. But that kind of answers the question from Uproot Texan nine nine. He said Alpha Blue is just released by the Jags, even though he's on IR. How quickly will Bob sign him, and do you think he'd be willing to play either secondary or defensive end? Yeah, I think he can play up back in special teams. I think he can play gunner in special teams. I think he can return punts. He can do so many different things. And, yeah, I think he can play a little bit of, like, strong safety. Like, I'd rather see Alfred Blue playing strong safety than Mike Adams right now, than 37-year-old <laughs> Mike Adams. <laughs> he looks so bad. Sunday, he didn't get a lot of snaps, but boy, did he look terrible in those limited snaps. Yeah, I had a, I didn't know in the third quarter. It just said there's way too much Mike Adams going on right now. Oh my gosh, way he too had much. 15 snaps, and yeah, he looked all 37 years old. And look, dude's been done for five years. I mean, he, I don't know what you expect. Yeah, even yeah, and like that is true. And I mean, he was even kind of done whenever he went to Carolina, but Carolina had such great linebackers coming in the middle, middle of the field. He would just like run down and uh, catch, pick up passes on seam routes and stuff. Uh, but really, the big news is that J.J. Watt, Torres Pectoral, he's out for the rest of the year. This is the third season in the past four seasons that J.J. Watt suffered a, a season-ending injury before like the halfway mark, halfway mark of the season. And J.J. Watt's 30 years old. He was you know, a top-five edge defender while he was healthy this year. Um, and I think the, I don't know if funny is the right word or this strange thing, or I guess the poetic thing about it is that I know, I know Rivers posted that video. That was like JJ Watt talking about how much he's playing the run this year. He wasn't playing the run at all this season. He was just sitting on the backside. He wasn't chasing back to make plays. He was saving himself for the pass rush, which is fine because that's what they need him for when he's 30 years old, but he swims over the top on an outside zone play. It makes like a padded in like 2012 JJ Watt, uh, run tackle for loss on backside tears his pectoral like finally you know doing something against the run game and he's out for the season because of it so i i mean like where do you think houston goes from here uh we had a question from at t schmidt 723 and he asked what's houston's plan to generate pastures without Watt? is this gonna be more blitzing or are they just gonna be you know kind of completely screwed without him now can we go back to talking about and having fun like like i think alfred blue if you put him at strong safety yeah, I guess we eventually have to talk about Watt for reals, don't we? Yeah. I just just avoidance, I think, is the psychological term. That's what, um, that's what we're trying to do, but we have to face reality. Because if not, you just end up like 37 years old, and you're still living with your mother, and you're still riding for Balrog blog, you know? Yeah, Matt, it's just all fake news. J.J. Watt's perfectly healthy. See? <laughs> See, that's all you have to do. If you don't like what you're hearing, just say fake news, and, and that's it. That's it. You're done. You're done uh, with the conversation. Fake news. I like Fake it. news. Well, we all have Fake our news. we all have our illusions. Like Virginia Woolf wrote uh, so much about it during her you know lovely career. Oh gosh. So we're going to move on from, from Virginia Woolf, especially. What are we? I mean, what do you expect to do at this time of year? I mean, we we traded away uh, Clowney for. Well, we'll see. We'll see the net. We know the net now is for uh, 
Jacob Martin for Gary and Conley and big play Barkevius Mingo. <laughs> wow. Great. Good stuff. Wow. I mean, like not even Madden would do that ish, you know? No. So like, even, I mean, like even, no, you would have, even if you turn the trades off of Madden, they wouldn't let you make that trade. No, no, it's silly. So, um, we're we're stuck with what we are. I mean, that was the that was the risk, and a lot of us talked about it. You and I talked about it. the risk is that JJ Watt's thirty years old. He's an injury risk. He's missed a couple seasons, you know, parts of a couple seasons recently. Look, this is why you don't trade depth. This is why you don't play for twenty nineteen and trade your best defensive player going for it all in twenty nineteen. So what do we expect to do? Look, I don't think we have much of a choice. Jacob Martin's going to be getting a lot more snaps. Oh my. Goodness, Barkevius Mingo is going to start getting a lot of snaps. I hope so. I really want to see him out there. I'm tired of him not playing at all whatsoever. Like, even if it's awful, which it's going to be, like, Clowney had a better pass rushing season in 2018 than Mingo had in his entire career as, you know, a top 10 pick. Uh, but I just want to see him out there, just like, just run right into offensive tackles over and over again. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be, I mean, so what can you expect? Cornell is going to, I think he's going to do Cornell things and he's going to start blitzing imaginatively. Uh, I can see that. I can see guys like McKinney, Justin Reed, guys who have kind of shown a propensity to get to the quarterback um, on the blitz. I think we're going to see them doing a lot more fun things. You don't have a choice. You're going to have to mix it up because I mean, goodness gracious, look at it. Look at it this way. Our defensive line is now basically DJ reader. Our linebackers are Cunningham and McKinney. And our secondary is four guys signed off the street in the past two weeks, <laughs> the hot dog vendor, and one of the cheerleaders. I mean, that defense, if you look at the on the paper roster, it's terrible. So we're going to have to do things to make a difference. Now, you know, Gibson's going to come back. Jonathan Joseph is going to come back. We're going to get a little bit healthier, but it's still not a good secondary, even with those guys back. We, we can't look forward to Justin Reed's been absolutely balling all year i mean wow he had a great game on sunday gibson's a good player so we're going to get better but cornerback's going to be a problem all year what do you do you be imaginative you catch offenses off guard and you just pray yeah um i i mean houston's already has had blitz a lot this year like when i wrote about Watt last week like Watt's been the entirety of the texans pass for since the atlanta game Nobody else has been able to generate a rush. I think the problem with Reader is he's having to play the he's having to defend the run so much. And like we're at week eight, like he's tired, I think. And he ha- he doesn't have that same amount of juice and wiggle he's had earlier in the year. I think also the interior blocking has gotten better. Uh, the Raiders have a really good interior uh, pass blocking, and um, the Falcons was bad, but Reader had that one sack and continuously pushed the puck in that game. The Colts have a really great interior pass rush, but Angel Blackson has I think zero sacks and one quarterback hit this year. Um, Jacob Martin has no pass rushing moves. He just like chops ribs and that's it. Or he like completely disengages from the block and runs all the way around <laughs> the line of scrimmage because he's incredibly fast. Like it's wild how fast he is, but he has no pass rush moves. And, like now would be a good time for him to learn how to do something. Uh, Whitney Merciless, he has to have help. Like his pass rushes on their own don't work. The only game this year where they have was against the Jacksonville Jaguars and you know backup left tackle rib. Will Richardson Jr., who's a much better left guard, and he's like six eight. Um, he won some he won some snaps with his spin move, that sort of thing. But Merciless's spin move has been awful since that game. Like guys are catching him, and then everything else is all long arm ribs. It takes him five seconds to get to the quarterback. 
and guys are easily uh, dealing with that. And you know Charles Mene, who's a he's a bull rush on the interior. He doesn't have the speed to get around the edge. Like Charles Mene, who's like I think ceiling is Benson Mayola of Oakland. Like that's a, I think a really good comparable player for him. If he ever reaches that, that'd be you know great for him. But uh, he's better. He's like this year he's been good, just being like on the interior and kind of pumping his legs. And other than that, it's just gonna be like you mentioned blitzing Justin Reed. I think we're gonna see a lot of McKinney blitzing on the outside edge. I think we're gonna see Merciless line up over center. I mean, Cornell did a great job in 16 whenever they lost Watt, but they had Clowney, they had A.J. Boye, they had top five pass defense that year without him. This isn't the same level of talent. And I really think the pass rush is going to be a bomb five one from here on out. And really the only thing saving the Texans isn't going to be the pass rush. It's going to be the secondary getting better. Because whenever you think of Bradley Roby and how well he's playing the slide, you know, Joseph's fine. Uh, Gary and Conley may be okay, even though he's been awful this entire year. Um, you have Justin Reed and Tayshaun Gibson, like, now it's going to be the complete opposite where the pass defense is going to flip to lean on its coverage, which is like a maybe like the 20th best secondary football that they're going to be leaning on. I think it's just going to be it's going to be rough, and it's really going to be up to the offense entirely for you know the passing offense for the Texans to be able to fight and make a playoff spot. Yeah, and we can talk about how good Roby has been, and he hasn't been that good. He's been good. He's been good in the slot, but he's not like an outside number one cornerback no. like he's been thought as to be this season. No, and and when you start talking about you know Keith Crossan type you know quality level of players, you know there's that secondary's got a Keon Crossan. I'm sorry, <clears throat> excuse me. There's a lot of issues in that secondary, so I don't know how much better it's going to get at the cornerback position. Again, I'm a lot more hopeful. Justin Reed, I've really enjoyed watching him play, but I, I just you know, on, on paper, this to me, not only is it going to be a bottom five pass rush, but it's going to be a bottom five defense for the rest of the year. Well, I do think the one thing about the Watt injury, though, that they'll be okay, is that the run defense is going to be good anyways. Watt hasn't right. been playing the run very often. And, like, Blackson's a, a fine interior run defender. Brand Dunn's fine. DJ Reader is awesome. Like, some of those run tackles he had against the outside zone were you know, really fun, where he's just, like, fighting Richie Incognito four yards to the line of scrimmage to tackle Josh Jacobs. Uh, Merciless is great against the run whenever he's not being blocked by an offensive tackle. Whenever you block Darren Waller against him, he makes tackles for a loss. Uh, Brent Scarlett's fine, but like, man, I mean, McKinney and Cunningham have been awesome against the run this year. Just like how good McKin- uh, Cunningham has been at diagnosing players on the backside and shooting the gaps. And then also McKinney, like, you can't block him. Like, he's so strong. And I love his neck tattoos he got this offseason. Like, he's just, he's a monster. So I think the run defense is going to be, you know, a fringe top 10 one regardless. But, yeah, like, I I think even at the way the secondary is right now, the Houston Renegades have a better secondary, and they haven't even drafted yet than the Texans have at the moment. Yeah, and let me just say about McKinney is, is for my money, and again, just my opinion, is the guy has been a top 10 linebacker this year in the NFL. He's just been a monster. Yeah, and, he, and he's gotten much better as a coverage player, too, since the second year. He's not great in coverage, but he's been adequate. Uh, Cunningham can't play man coverage against faster players, but like he's adequate too. And so like, yeah, like, I mean, that's going to be the strength of their defense now is Cunningham and McKinney completely in reader. And, you know, the problem is that it's, it's not that important to be the best defense on the, have a great interior defense like they're going to have this year and going on out. And I do want to add too about the whole clowning thing. Like that was one of the things that we mentioned this off season or what I wrote about. I wrote that article, Trey JJ wants to Javion Clowney. One and you know it was kind of joking, but it kind of wasn't. But like, it was just the point that Clowney is just as valuable as Watt. He's three years younger, 
Um, he's about to enter his prime here. Watt, who's been injured three of the uh, two of the last three seasons before this year, and it's that with with Clowney there, you have the bridge from Watt to somebody else to keep to keep yourself at having a great defense with an elite talent. Um, you have Clowney entering your prime, and also if something happens to Watt. Like I always felt like after Watt was knocked out the last two years, that everything he does is a luxury. It's an added bonus because mm-hmm. of his health concerns and his age. And you can't depend on that. And Houston decided to depend on it, and it's come back to bite them. And uh, I, I mean, like they're they're just gonna have a, pat, a, bad, a bad pass defense from here on out because of it. And it was even if they were twenty second DVOA entering this game too. It's not even like they have a good one at all. So yeah, I think it falls to probably like, you know twenty seventh in DVOA. They did it with a bomb five pass rush, and uh, maybe they make it work out. They've been able to make so many other things work out on defense despite the injuries. But this Watt one and how vital he was to the pass rush with nobody being able to do anything at all. I don't know if they'll be able to do anything about, and, uh, and yeah, like I mean, like I think you said it really well too. Whenever you said you know, trading Clowney, um, trade trading Clowney for the spare parts that they got is just—I forgot what I was gonna say. I screwed, I screwed up. But trading him now, no, trading Clowney for the spare parts that they got, and going all in on this team and trading draft pick, trading the draft picks for Tunsil. So I understand it all. Like you're all in now on this team, and you're trading one of your two best players or one of your three best players. And that's what I didn't understand about the Tunsil trades that you're going all in for this team. You're making yourself worse at the same time. Yeah. And I, I was talking to my son a little bit earlier because, you know, the, the dolphins are on Monday night football and he got home and, and he saw the dolphins on it. So we talked for a little bit before the cast and, and uh, he, my son is like, what, what are we going to do? I mean, we've got so many holes and so many positions. What are we going to do? because we have no draft picks i mean next year we're not this is this team we are literally playing for 2019 and maybe 2020 right now because this team is getting older at key positions and needs a lot of improvement at key positions free agents aren't going to help us to a certain extent because we're going to have deshaun watson's contract coming up laramie tunsil's contract coming up we have we have mortgaged this team's future for 2019. And then when I look at what 2019 really has in store, which is that we're a complete glass cannon reliant almost 100% upon Deshaun Watson to be successful. That's not a bet that I would make. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a great point. And I, I mean, this is like, you know, this is what I don't get about though. And I really think what happened with the client trade was that Bill O'Brien thought he was a trade chip. He tried trying for an offensive tackle, but because they traded him after the extension deadline, then no team didn't want to trade for a rental for a year and not have the ability to lock him down to long-term extension. So no team wanted to give up a first-round pick or a second-round pick or trade like a, a really good offensive tackle because of him. I think the Redskins turned that pick down. I think the Dolphins turned that down as well too. And they and they end up with their you know two first-round picks and a number two pick, which is I mean it's still unbelievable. Uh, but I think they they just botched that entire situation entirely. And like yeah, Clowney's been really good in Seattle. It's just he's football great. He's not box score great, and that there's a big difference between the two things as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I mean, really, it's just gonna be bad from here on out. Um, I do think we're gonna see a lot of twists on the inside. We're gonna see DJ Reader open up stuff for McKinney and Cunningham to blitz through. Merciless just has to be better. They're gonna give him the the only hope I have for Merciless is that he's gonna get the easiest matchup on the line of scrimmage now. He's not gonna be going up against left tackles again that tougher matchup. Now that Watts hurt, so they'll be able to exploit. You know, you know, instead of him going up, going up against Jake Matthews, he'll go up against Caleb McGarry instead. And so that's the one hope I have for Merciless. But I mean, really, the key is the secondary gets healthier and the pass offense is just more aggressive and better. All right, I just saw one of the stupidest plays I've ever seen in football. 
with 24 or so seconds left, the Dolphins blitzed all out blitz, went into zero coverage and allowed a 44, 45 yard touchdown with 17 seconds left on the clock. That's pretty cool. Was it dumber than the, the shovel pass interception by Baker Mayfield yesterday? Cause that was the dumbest play I've ever seen. I don't know. See, the thing is, is you're not even looking, you're not even expecting that guy to be right there at the same time. I yeah. mean, the play is not, I mean, so that was just bad luck. I've never I, seen I that play get picked up before. Ever, ever. <laughs> I saw two things I had never seen. All the years I've watched football, two things I had never seen. Number one, that. And number two, the guy on the jet sweep coming around. And college has been doing this for 30 years. The guy on the jet sweep coming around and, and getting hit by the snap. Yeah. I, I'd never seen that. Yeah, that, that is something. Uh, well, the third thing I've never seen before, I've never seen a quarterback get kicked in the eye. Stay up. <laughs> with one eye closed like a pirate uh, and then throw a touchdown pass to take the lead in it, which eventually won the game as well too. Uh, Deshaun Watson was unbelievable yesterday. He was 27-39 passing, 279 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 69% completion percentage, 7.15 yards in attempt. On throws between 10 and 19 yards, he was 5-6 five, five for 67 yards and one touchdown. Between 0 and 10, he was 18 for 26, 146 and two touchdowns. And the Texans' passing offense was focused entirely on that 0-20 to 20 yard part of the field. Uh, without Will Fuller out, they kind of did the same thing again this week where they decide not to throw the ball downfield. Uh, what did you think about the Texans' game plan against the Raiders? I don't even know if you want me to get started on this one because I could go a solid 30 minutes with ranting and raving. Number one, I just want to go out and say, right now, I believe Deshaun Watson's the best quarterback in the NFL. There you go. There you have it. Uh, I think that what he does week in, week out with his intelligence, with what he does, his escapability, his ability to make plays down the field, I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I'm a little bit biased. I'm, I'm kind of man-crushing him. I'm thinking about changing my first name to Deshaun, and then my last name to Watson. But the guy, the kid's incredible. Well, you, can I mean, be, you can be big, fat Deshaun Watson. Big, fat Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I could go for that. I can do that. I, I think he's incredible. I mean, that that – the winning touchdown throw. Who the heck does that? Who the heck, number one, gets out of that and then makes an accurate throw with one eye? I mean, nobody else does that. As far as the game plan goes, it was it, for the, about the first, what did you say, Matt, about the first 22 minutes or so, it was Until trash. like four minutes was left in the second quarter. It was yeah. horrendous and awful, and it made me, I was so angry. It, it's just... You know, once again, I am never going to trust Bill O'Brien to be a good head coach again. We gave him the benefit of the doubt after those two hot weeks. Now we realize in retrospect, he just didn't learn a thing from it. I mean, how do you not like go back and say, oh, hey, look, this worked really well. Maybe we should keep doing this. No, Bill O'Brien goes back to his 11-dimensional chess offense and does stupid things. The best thing I can take away from the game on Sunday is that we went back to the 12 personnel and we went back to Deshaun Watson using his legs uh, to make plays. I'm going to hang my hat on that. That's why we won. Daniel Fells. Good God. I, number one, he's the one guy. He, George Kittle, two guys I never would want to tackle ever in my life. And, you know, Fells really kind of won that game along with Watson with that last second snag. I mean, the guy's been a master. So they went back to doing things they were successful doing, and I never want to see some of the stupid stuff I saw 
you know, in the first half again, but we're going to see it. We're going to see it next week. We're going to see Bill O'Brien doing stupid things next week because that's what Bill O'Brien does. Yeah, and, I mean, the Darren Fell sign has been great, and that's the type of sign that, like, good teams and smart teams make where they make the one-year contract for, like, $600,000 or $1.1 million ends up playing, paying dividends in the season. You're like, wow, where did that guy come from? Because, like, Fells has been, has been primarily used as a blocker in his career, and now they're actually using him on play action and sitting, that sort of thing. Um, I liked part of the Texans' game plan. I liked the way they attacked the Raiders' linebackers and got them in nickel coverage because guess what? To hear Whitehead, really bad in pass coverage. Anthony Morrow, really bad in pass coverage. And they did a really good job using play action, like you mentioned, using bootlegs, throwing across that, uh, getting the Raiders linebackers in coverage. Also, I liked how they used Hopkins in the slot against their linebackers. That Duke Johnson catch was like, he just blew right by Morrow. That was a great example of getting their linebackers outside. And it's, it's exactly what the Packers did to him too as well. So the Texans' secondary pass catchers, these are their non-wide receivers. They were 12 for 17 for 112 yards and three touchdowns. Fells was 6 for 6, 58 yards, two touchdowns. Duke Johnson, 4 for 5, 33 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and they, they did a great job doing it. It was a lot like the Kansas City game, where it was a lot of pick-and-pop play action, get Watts on the edge, hold the ball, hold the ball, let Fells sit against the flow of the tide, or wait for LaMarcus Joyner to come up and then throw it over the top of him. And they did a really good job just just being like the... You know, it's like whenever you play with your cat, you know, you have your little mouse <laughs> on a string and dangle in front and wait until you get them to actually go over there and attack and then you go over the top of them, you know. What I could not figure out for the life of me, so I wrote it, that was my incompletions, is that we saw a lot of stupid football again on Sunday. We've seen a lot of stupid football this year. But the fact that they kept trying, the Raiders kept trying to match up a linebacker, I think it was moral for a big chunk of the game, against Hopkins was amazing. Yeah, it was I mean, it's... How do you not adjust to that? And if we're, again, we're two dudes in our mom's basement, we're both 50 years old and covered in Cheeto dust, and we're able to see it. Are you telling me the Raiders could not see John Gruden, like the best football mind, according to him, in NFL history, couldn't see this? Oh, my gosh. It was just amazeballs. Yeah, I uh, I could I couldn't get over over that and like I mean Houston did a good job using him in the slot and that sort of thing, but the problem again was that for the first you know I don't know eighteen minutes seventeen minutes whatever it comes out to whenever there's four minutes left on that last drive before the end of the half it was so much outside zone running which the Texans aren't very good at that's a lifestyle the outside zone's a lifestyle it's not something that you just casually pick up you know and the other thing is all their short routes. So many curls, so many comebacks, so many, so many quick outs. Trayvon Mullen dropped that pick six, and it was so badly thrown that he threw it behind the pick six. But, I mean, he read that play immediately from the beginning on third and four, and it was way too many, quick, too many short passing plays, and it was the exact same offensive game plan that they used against Carolina that got them 10 points in that game, or 13 points, whatever it ended up being. Uh, yeah, and, and how hard is it? I mean, we... <laughs> this is what frustrates me so much watching the Bill O'Brien offense is that look, Deshaun Watson, when he pushes the ball down the field is when they're most successful. In fact, that goes for any quarterback who can do it. Push the ball down the field, you can be successful. I'm watching Ryan Fitzpatrick push the ball down the field and being successful tonight against the he, Steelers. He's, he's the ultimate of that. All he does yeah. is push the ball down the field. Yeah. Nothing and else you matters. Have, you have a level of success with that, but when you have Watson's your quarterback and you're throwing a lot of passes where the where the receiver is coming back towards the line of scrimmage and is not able to gain yak. God, it just drives me 
up the wall. We got DeAndre Hopkins. We got Kennedy Stills. We got guys who can make plays with the ball in their hands. And and yet we're asking them to be sitting still when they catch the ball in like a hook or sitting in a zone. It's just it's it's really incredibly crappy play calling. Yeah. Um, another point I want to make too is just like throwing the ball in first and ten. We talked about a lot last week. So Houston didn't really throw the ball in first and in, in the in the first on first and ten all in the first half. They come out in the third quarter in their first drive, first and ten play action pass. DeAndre Carter wide open down the sideline for forty six yards, and it's like that's what. And I understand Will Fuller's hurt. I understand like the apprehension of throwing the ball downfield, but Kenny Stills is still a really great deep passing receiver. DeAndre Hopkins is a really great deep passing receiver. The other thing I didn't really understand too, and just about the Texans in general this year, is how they're not using Hopkins at all in isolation. Like he's not running fades down the sideline. He's not running any like double moves at all down the sideline. All of his stuff is posts and slants and deep digs. And like, I mean, I know Andre John. It's kind of like watching Andre Johnson again. You know, like he got a little bit older, but that was like thirty-two-year-old Andre Johnson. Where he's just finding holes in the zone, just being big and strong. And like, they're not using Hopkins enough in man coverage. And I hate seeing Hopkins have these like eleven catch, one hundred two-yard games. But at least in the second half, they kind of realize, oh yeah, we have. It's like watching the Tennessee Titans play. Where they go, oh, we have Corey Davis, we have AJ Brown, we have Deion Lewis. Oh, we can throw these guys the ball; they're really good. And it's kind of the same thing with the Texans this game, where it's like it took until the third quarter, and Bill Brown's like, oh yeah, we have DeAndre Hopkins. This is the thirtieth ranked passing defense by DVOA. Yeah, let's give him the ball a lot too. Uh, and that that whole thing was you know very silly as well. And like it got better in the second half, but it still shouldn't. It, like you can't. I don't understand how you're watching film. You know, looking at the numbers, you have a group of professional football people where their entire life is devoted to this. They're much smarter than you are, you and I are. They know so much more about football than you know we ever could. All that sort of thing, and you go into a game against the Raiders, so you know all this, and this is what you come up with. And it takes you um, until four minutes left in the second quarter to start feeding DeAndre Hopkins. It takes you until the second half to start throwing the ball downfield on play action. And you're going up against this Raiders pass defense that's been brutal. They've been so bad at it all season. I just don't I don't know how you can do that. Like I don't know what you're doing all week, you know. The only one that we're not or that we are definitely smarter than for reals is Booker McFarland. He's the worst. He's just he's the worst. <laughs> I, I can't handle him anymore. I'm done with Booker. Anyway, um you're right. It's just things are so obvious and and you know Carlos Hyde has not been good carrying the ball since the third game. And we keep feeding him the ball and we keep expecting different results. And, and what I'm kind of, you know, transitioning to now is what the Raiders game plan was against us because we're out there again, our secondary is is a nothing burger. We've got nobody with talent out in the secondary right now. And they, uh, the Raiders rushed the ball 23 times and threw the ball 30 times, 30. Yeah. 30 times. And, and I think the rushing was four yards of carry and the throwing uh, passing was 9.5 yards of pass, which is a little bit skewed by the Hunter Renfro catch. I get that. But like, at what point does it kick in that maybe we should stop rushing the ball against a really good, you know, rushing defensive team and start throwing the ball against, the, uh, against, you know, the 18th guy on the depth chart in your secondary. And yeah. that's what, but Gruden kept doing it. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I will disagree with you on this one, mainly because the Raiders have one receiver in Tyrell Williams. They're completely devoted to their tight ends. 
and they have a really great offensive line, and Josh Jacobs is awesome, phenomenal. But like even when they threw the ball downfield, they were close. I mean, the best thing I think Houston secondary has done with all the injuries is they played the ball very well. Like Tyrell Williams had two catches that he should have caught that were you know played the very last second. Cockrell had one. Um, Gary and Conley had the other one in the fourth quarter that kind of saved them in that game too. And just like whenever you're stuck and uh, you know you're stuck where you don't have any pass catchers, like I'm fine leading on the run game more than that. And also I think Carr was bad this game too. He underthrew he, yeah. he underthrew a lot of receivers. He missed a lot of guys really high. His ball placement was bad. His accuracy was bad. He had all the time in the world to throw. Um, and I and I think like Gruden's just limited by Carr, limited by his pass catchers. I really like some of the things that Gruden did in this game though, like that touchdown pass they called Touch, it. Yeah. Ted Williams is awesome. And uh, and like I really like their run game too. And I know I'm biased completely, like after watching the film and stuff. But I think what their run game was good at doing was run the ball on the on the fringes against them. Say like Colton Miller side especially, like he had some brutal second level blocks with uh, with Incognito. And like on the edges, you know Jacobs was 15 for 66, but on the over right guard he was six for 47, and uh, and he had success on the left side of the field as well too. Yeah, counterpoint. Like, how much does this game change on that Tyrell, Tyrell Williams missing, you know, dropping that one pass against Keenan Crossan? With Crossan, like, with the biggest celebration ever for, you know, like having no impact on the drop at all. So, you know, there was a couple of that, but I, I just, I see that matchup. And I'm going, I'm just throwing the ball mm-hmm. to Tyrell Williams all day. Yeah. If, no, that if that's going to be my matchup. No, and I'm glad about, uh, about Jacob's rushing numbers. That was Carlos Hyde, actually. Hyde had six yards of 47 yards off right guard and three for six off the right edge. Um, but yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. And like, that's a matchup that should have gone to more. The one thing that was really surprising, and I think one of the things Romeo Cornell did really well, was covering Darren Waller. Waller was two for yeah. eight for 11 yards and one touchdown. The first half, it was a lot of Justin Reed playing man coverage against him. But they also did things like chip him at the line of scrimmage with J.J. Watt. Uh, they also did things like have... Like have the first level defender let him run by, and then have uh, Dylan Cole pick him up on the out route. Um, they did some they did some different things to cover him up. And I think at one point, like Waller started the game like over six. You know, he yeah. dropped a there's a pass on the left sideline where he was matched against I think Lonnie Johnson that Carr just underthrew, and that was a matchup I think the Raiders thought that they had Houston on that that didn't work out in their advantage. And the Texans surprisingly were seventh in defensive DVO against tight ends. And they did a really good job covering Waller too. Moreau didn't do anything. Carey didn't do anything. And the Raiders tight ends were pretty much held to a goose egg in this one. Yeah, that's a great point because I think that was ultimately the difference in this game was shutting down Waller Mm -hmm. is that, you know, he's been outstanding this year. I mean, where did this kid come from? He's been elite. So, um, they couldn't get the ball to him, and especially in the first half. They quit going. It seems like they kind of quit going to him, but then I just go back to they kept giving the ball to Jacobs in the second half. That's 53 total plays that they got off as an offense against the Texans. That's just depressing. Yeah, and that's – I mean, the Raiders, I think, were – this is all the time I have, but they were 29th in uh, plays run this year. They were last in the league with only 60 offensive drives. Now, this is how their offense works. It's like it's really ball-heavy. It's really play-heavy to keep their defense off the field. And whenever you have a lead, like it can work. And the one thing the Texans couldn't do this game was fall behind by two scores. And they did that, and they were still able to come back. And uh, they had some breaks here and there, you know, to make it happen. But they pulled they pulled it off somehow. Um, what do you, So what do you think about Josh Jacobs? Like, do you think he's a, a great running back? Have you liked what you've seen from him so far this season? He's been fine. He, you know, what number one, he breaks my rule, never take a running back in the first round. So he breaks that rule. 
he's a good running back. He's fine. <laughs> I've got no real strong opinion for him. I think he was way overdrafted. You know, you can get a lot of guys to do what he does in the second, third, fourth round. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's really good. I'm. A, I have the same rule as you, but I think he's one of those guys that maybe actually we're taking the first round. Uh, just like how good he is in the second level and the third level, and he makes these cuts like in those parts of the defense that I've never seen my make it all before. Like especially like against linebackers and against safeties, and uh, he can do some absurd things. Like that cut he put on, he put on Zach Cunningham was unbelievable. Um, he had that really nice 23 yard run in this game as well too. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. I think that was kind of part of it too. And I was watching the Raiders play. It's like, yeah, I like when they give Josh Jacobs the ball. I just really like watching him run. And uh, they have more success than most teams have against the Texas defense. But I do understand what you're saying. Like whenever you have Tyra Williams against Keon Crossan, throw that matchup to death. Um, I just think Carr just kind of had a bad game in this one. On throws over, on throws over 20 yards, Carr was one for six for 22 yards. On throws between 10 and 19 yards, he was three for five for 84 yards. And, you know, they try push they push the ball down the field at times, but they didn't have very much success doing so. And a lot of it was some like late game saving heroics like crossing that you talked about. And some of it also was just that, you know, Carr missed throws. He missed some open throws oh, yeah. in this game. Yeah. And, and just, you know, a quick mention on Jacobs. He's 77 in DYAR, and that's before today or before the weekend. So last week. And uh, Carlos Hyatt is three. So yeah, I mean he's he's having you know give him the credit. I, that's what I'm doing. He's trying to give Jacobs the credit. He's having a good season. He's a fine. I just wouldn't take him in the first round. Yeah, I yeah. think I think a lot of his success is due to the Oakland Raiders offensive line, which is very good. Yeah, I I love watching Colton Miller play. I, I love how he blocks <laughs> in the second level, and also he was so bad as rookie year too. And like he makes like open field blocks that nobody makes. Like I watch him do that. I'm like it'd be cool if Larry Tunsil could do that. <laughs> like I really wish you could do because Larry Tensel has is more athletic, um, but he doesn't make those same open field blocks that that Miller is able to. And also like, they're used differently too. Like I think Gruden's done a really great job coaching this team, where they ha- and like you can feel the hole, like the Antonio Brown size hole that they have in their offense. And he's done a really great job, I think, working his way around it, uh, make, getting the most they can out of Derek Carr. And they're like offense, they're like game plan this offseason. I think worked out a lot better than I even expected it to. And they're like they've been surprisingly like a competent and you know pretty fun team to watch this season. Yeah, and they're they're fourth by DVO, uh, adjusted line yards. You know, so it's a good offensive line. Yeah, well, and I think Jacobs is averaging five point one yards a carry, and they're at four point seven. So you say like, yeah, like Jacobs is like half a yard better than his blocking per play or something like that. Yeah. Um, also, the the other thing I wanted to bring up too with the Raiders' offense was that like what, I wanted to go back to the pass rush too in this game. And the one the one thing I really liked that they did was they let Watt rush against the interior because he really ha- didn't have a matchup at all against Trent Brown. And so whenever we look at this next game against Jacksonville, like I mean Brown had some nasty punches against Watt. Uh, whenever we look at this next game, next game against Jacksonville. Like, where do you think they're going to find that matchup? Like, how are they going to attack Andrew Norwell? It's going to be a lot of DJ Reader against them. And where do you think they're going to line Wendy Merciless? I just want you to mention, so there was one play, I wish, I can't remember exactly what you said, but Trent Brown just ragdolled J.J. Watt at one point in the game on Sunday. It was amazing. He's so unbelievably strong. Like, I've never seen a guy that big with such a baby face. and, And he's enormous. Like, he's so big. There was some kid, God, never mind. Not going to go on that segue. Anyway, um, on that tangent, I should say, 
I think we're just going to kind of throw everything we can against the wall. I think, again, you mentioned it earlier. We're going to see a lot of, we're going to see a lot of twists up front. I think that's the only way that only chance we've really got to get to the quarterback is by just being as imaginative as possible. So are we going to, what are we going to do against like Andrew Norwell? He's like, been my, so bad this year too. Like he, I don't he has know, been. I don't know if he's hurt or if he gained weight, but man, my favorite tweet this year was the big cat country website. And Norwell gave up like a forced fumble sack that turned into a touchdown by Brian Burns. And it's, it's, uh, it's Mo from the Simpsons. There's, they're riding a blimp and he takes the controls over and just crashes it and, <laughs> into the ground. It's like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Like Andrew Norwell has been Mo from the Simpsons this year. Oh my gosh. It's shocking. So I don't know. I, I still think we're going to see a lot of reader. We're going to see a lot of them in Yahoo. God, I can't even say his name. Sorry, Charles. That that's what I think we're going to see those two guys on the inside because I think you have to stick merciless on the outside because he can't do anything else but the spin move. Mm-hmm. So, and I think he has to leave Omanehu on the inside too. Uh, I just don't know if merciless is be able to get a good pass rush against either Cam Robinson or Jawan Taylor. <laughs> like Taylor has problems against power moves, and they don't really have a rusher who can take advantage of that. I would even kind of leave McKinney outside against Jawan Taylor and just try to get some power rushes against him. Because that's the one thing he struggled with this year. Like Cam Jordan had three sacks against him just by beating him with this punch off the off the line of scrimmage and getting an extension. That would be kind of exciting to see a front four of I don't know Merciless, Reader, Cunningham, and McKinney. Yeah, something like that would be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah something. I'm and Cornell's going to do it. Like he's done it before. Like Cornell is like a great chop chef, or he could probably show up to like some freshman in college's mini fridge. And grab like a half block of cheese, an old lead of of lettuce, um, some ramen noodles, some like froster and hot pockets, and turn it into like at least like a three star meal. You know, <laughs> throw some brewers yeast on it, you got something. That's awesome. Nice analogy. The the other thing I want to bring up from this game too is the Hunter Renfro touchdown because I think it really skews Derek Carr's numbers and also the way the Texans played the Raiders too by having Justin Reed play man coverage and they switched off that as well too in the in the second half but they had Jahila die as their center field player they have Lonnie Johnson on on Tyler Renfro Johnson's playing seven yards off he doesn't have the quickness to play like individual man coverage where if Johnson's not winning the line of scrimmage you really can't play him at all uh, Renfro like makes his cut with like four yards of separation. And then not only that, but Johnson takes a bad pursuit angle, misses the tackle. die tries to scream down, make the tackle. He takes a bad pursuit angle. He misses two. And Justin Reed's not back there to play, you know, rugby fullback to clean that play up and run for, you know, runs forever and they score. And now the Texans are playing behind, which is something again that, you know, that was the one thing they couldn't do. If they were going to lose this game, it was because they were playing from behind. And uh, that play, you know, could have like dramatic, it may dramatically change the game around. Um, so like, what do you think? So let's, and I guess it's important just for this week. Do you think you're going to see Reed play more, you know, man coverage, or they just can go back and say like, we have to keep him back there. We can't give up deep passes like that again. We have I don't to know, but bend, I, don't break as possible. I, I mean, the weird thing is this is where the Andre Howe retirement really hurt us is now we're having to play Jaleel yeah. die. And this, this is a big, this is a huge trade off because the die isn't in the backs in the box kind of safety. He's not a he's not a center fielder kind of safety, and we saw that he took a poor angle. He's not fast. He's he's what thirty two years old or something like that. So you know this is not a young guy. We're asking him to play center field against faster, younger, quicker guys. It's not going to work. The problem is, is Justin Reed played a really good game playing man coverage on guys, and so I don't want to give that up either. 
but I think you're going to have to have a trade off because you can't trust a die to do Justin Reed kind of things. You know, maybe we put a die on guys and let him play man and see what happens. Yeah. But there's this is there, this is like a no good trade offs kind of thing. We're going to have to you know rob. What's this? I can't even think of the term rob Paul to pay. I don't know Sam or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. I wouldn't do it anymore. I would keep Reed back there. You can't give up seventy yard touchdowns. Like I think they just. I think the other thing they're going to do too is probably play more zone again and just play as bend don't break as possible until Roby gets healthy and that sort of thing. Um, what do you think of Gary and Conley's first game? Like I know like all the numbers have them like uh, football outsiders have had him fifty ninth in success rate, fifty six in yards allowed per pass out of fifty nine qualified cornerbacks. Pro Football Reference had him at like a, a 63% completion percentage allowed and he had him targeted for four touchdowns allowed. That's five now after that kind of funky route they've got him on in that game. He had that really great play in the fourth quarter too to you know, play the ball and keep Tyrell Williams from making that catch as well. Uh, but what were your thoughts on him this game so far? He, he uh, I mean, there was a one play, the Tyrell Williams touchdown that he got absolutely scorched on. It was a fun little route. We used to... Um, when I saw that route, when I was a kid, we used to do that route all the time. I mean, like all the time. That was the way, that was how you expose the slow kids, right? Um, so he got scorched on that one. He looked fine at times. He looked eminently torchable at times. He looked pretty much what I expected to see. Um, not only that, he's just now in learning the defense. I'm going to give the kid a break. He's going to need a little bit of time. The problem is, if we go to playing mostly zone, that's not his strength, right? Yeah. He's supposed to be he's supposed to be a press cover guy. So we're going to go against his strength. We're going to go against Justin Reed's strength because of all the other problems that we've got. And I guess so and I, I guess Roby's strength as well too. And yeah, right. Yeah, you know, Joseph is can play kind of a little bit of everything, you know. Yeah. So if we're going to put him in a position again where he can't succeed because of the other problems we've got in the secondary, then I, I don't have much optimism. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think I think. That's what, yeah, that's a great point. And I think the other problem too about playing zone coverage is that you've filtered so many guys in and out of the secondary, and it's hard to be able to pass guys correctly in zone coverage and that sort of thing. So I feel differently. I think they're going to just go back to playing cover one with Justin Reed back there, and then Cornell's just going to have to get funky with how they're going to rush the passer. It's a big difference. Losing Andre Howell, I, I, you know, this was not a loss I wanted. And good for Howell, you know, yeah. he came back from cancer. Good for him, but man. That hurt. I mean, no, he had the perfect career. Like the best way to play yeah. professional football, you play your rookie contract, you get your extension, and then you stop playing after that. You play all your yeah. bonus money on that extension, then hey, okay, I'm good. Yeah, and you probably have most of your brain left, so that's a win-win. Yeah, and then you like I don't know, de- develop an app for <laughs> for like so you can go feed somebody's hamster or something. Um, oh my god, Andre Hallis hamster feeding or whatever. <laughs> So the the last thing from this game specifically I want to bring up was first and, first and ten rushes because I I mean I was so oh angry. Jesus so uh, Duke Johnson one carry for three yards Carlos Hyde thirteen carries for sixty three yards but one of those carries was a long of twenty three um, Deshaun Watson on first and ten nine for 70 percent completion one hundred thirty two yards one touchdown one sack taken where he lost only three yards ten point two yards attempt four first downs. But the biggest thing about the the Johnson thing is kind of the stats thing, where it's not necessarily the average, it's uh it's like the you know the most or whatever that you or the mode is important too. So he had a run for negative six yards. Duke Johnson lost three yards, negative one yard. Uh, high for one, high for two, high for three, high for three, 
And then Johnson had one for four. So you know, the majority of these runs here are negative plays. They're unsuccessful plays to put the offense in a hole. And the I think like the biggest problem with it too, it's like it just leads to so many bad series. There is one series in the red zone where they run the ball in outside zone. Carlos Hyde loses one yard. Deshaun Watson throws the ball in the back of the end zone because DeAndre Hopkins is double covered. And then third down, he sacked because Chris Clark is beat by Benson Mayo. And they had another drive where they went... Uh, man, I hate being this stupid. Uh, they had another really bad drive. Well, I guess I lost it. I don't know. I'm sad now. Um... I don't know. They had some bad drives this game, though, is the best way to put it. They run the ball in first down. They lose six yards, and it kind of kills the drive. And it's just because it's constant need to run outside zone, that sort of thing on first down that wastes everybody. That's just a wasteful play. Yeah, you know, this the the rush offense really reminds me just game in, game out of, of peak Chris Johnson when he was with the Titans. And it's just – I it, it's it's terrifying in some ways because he would, he would, you know, rush up the middle for a yard – you know, next carries for two yards, next carry he loses three, and then he goes for an 80-yard run. Yeah. And he would get, you know, he'd get close to 2,000 yards. I think he eclipsed it one time. But he would have yeah. these, like, CJ, erratic CJ games. CJ Y2K. Yeah. That, uh, but it was, like, so many of his rushes were not productive. And that's what I saw on Sunday again. You know, Carlos Hyde is going to drive me crazy. He looks great at times, and he looks like Alfred Blue at times. So that's what this run game currently reminds me of it's just erratic and there's a reason and it's really become kind of my favorite uh between uh our old friend rivers mccown and i it's kind of become our favorite little argument is yes carlos hyde is checking it out ah i think he's second in success rate for this weekend Mm -hmm. at 58 percent but his dvoa is negative eight so it's like he's one of the worst running backs in the league by DVOA, but he's like the second best by success rate. And those things don't go together. Like they don't match. And I, they, I think, and I think a lot of that has to do with third and one runs, third and two runs, fourth and one runs and that sort of thing, you know? And he's been great at those. He's been great at getting the first down. So in that way, he's like kind of the anti Alfred blue that he actually picks up yards that we need. But at some <laughs> point that disconnect, the only thing, the only thing scarier than the than the antichrist is the anti Alfred Blue. And uh, right, <laughs> or being Alfred Blue. Yeah, gosh, <laughs> that'd be a good that'd be a good indie movie. Being Alfred Blue. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that drive I was that drive I was mentioning it was outside zone right, and then Aikens drops that pass, and then Hopkins uh, throws that pass, and then Clyde and Farrell's hands on you know third and sixteen or whatever. And there's just too many just drives that get derailed. The offense. You know, hits too many like record scratches because of it. And it's like figure out one thing that you're good at. If you're gonna run the ball in first and ten, check it down to those run plays whenever you have a light box. Uh, but the majority of the time, it should be play action. It should be you know throwing the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, taking shots deep, and it's just it's just constantly just first and ten's a bad a bad rushing down. I haven't looked up the numbers on the second and ten because I don't want to feel bad. Yeah, right. I mean, and that's the problem. Is when ultimately, when when Big Matt and I have a problem with the offense, especially with the with the scheme that we're doing, is that we're so unsuccessful in first and ten so often, and we do little to change that. And we we have such Bill O'Brien, especially, is such a tendency kind of guy. He has his tendencies, and he refuses to stray away from them. 
and that's not good coaching. Everybody wants to point to Bill Belichick. Why is he so successful? Because he has no tendencies, because he adjusts on a week-to-week basis to his opponent. And Bill O'Brien does the opposite. He's like, I'm going to do what I want. Screw what the opponent does. That's what's frustrating. Okay, so you're ready for, for second and ten? Oh, <laughs> my God. This is really bad. Uh, <laughs> Carlos Hyde, five carries, ten yards, two yards to carry. Deshaun Watson, 12 for 18, 67%. 98 yards, one touchdown, 5.4 yards attempt. Uh, he had nine first downs on his 18 attempts on second and 10. And then these runs for Carlos Hyde, negative, negative two yards, one yard, one yard. And then he had one run. He had two runs for five yards. So there you have it. He set two third, third and fives by taking those handoffs on second and 10. And like, it's, and it's, it's just constant. Like it's, it, it's constant. And like the first and 10 step, I can understand some, it worked out some in the second half, whenever the, whenever the Raiders went come with more light in their boxes to try to cover uh, Deshaun Watts, those RPOs, that sort of thing. But the second 10 runs have to stop. It's the worst time to run in the entire, in any situation that you have, except for maybe like the third and 18 draw. Right. But like even Which, then, even then, it's not bad. <laughs> like what chance do you have to convert third and eighteen, anyways? To I just want to—I I do want to give uh, Bill O'Brien props on one thing: is that this newfound aggressiveness that he has on going for it on fourth downs and is is delightful. I'm I'm happy. I mean, the the fact is, unless you're fourth and fourteen on your own ten, you probably shouldn't be punting the ball. Like the odds are are for you. So I've been really pleased with his um, increased aggressiveness over the past four weeks. Yeah, and he's been doing that this season. And I, I think I think it was diehard Chris brought the point. It wasn't the problem with Bill O'Brien going for it. Like he's been better about being more aggressive, and he was aggressive last year and other times too. It was the play calling on fourth and one. Oh God! It was Alfred blew up the middle, lose three yards, uh, and now I love that that zone read on fourth and one. It works every time, and sometimes it turns into a thirty-five yard touchdown like it did against the Saints. How do how do you even stop that? I, I just I don't know. How you stop you just Deshaun to Watson? Have, you have to be fast with layers of, of wide receivers to throw to tight ends most of the time. It's, you know, it's it's Aikens and it's and it's uh, Fells. You don't stop that, and you don't stop those guys with those incredible catching radiuses either. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. So we had a question here from uh, at RJ S five oh five. He said, "Can Chris Clark play defensive end because he sure as hell can't play right offensive tackle?" I know Bob likes position versatility, so hoping they can maybe slam over to help with the Texans' pass rush instead of the opposition. Thanks. You know, once again, we talk about the what can we do to improve the defensive line at this point in the season, or the offensive line, or the secondary at this point in the season. That this is Chris Clark is a great example of the problems. Like these guys already have jobs. The ones who can actually play those positions are signed. They're on rosters. And so when you have to pull Chris Clark out of retirement, he's what thirty two. I, like, I wonder if Derek Newton could play. Oh gosh, <laughs> I just wouldn't want to see him hurt like that again. Yeah, I know. I'm that, I mean, Von Miller tore both his patella tendons on an inside out move. Oh my and god, it's, it's just it was despicable. The one of the worst things I've ever seen. There's that Eagles wide receiver in the '80s who did the same thing. It was just so horrible. Um, th- th- this is the problem. So can Chris Clark play defensive end? Hey, he couldn't do any worse, but we're not going to find anybody else who's really going to improve the defensive line. Nobody's going to replace J.J. Watt. We're going to go sign the guy who's going to be the Chris Clark of the defensive line. Yeah, like they did today. They signed like a former Raiders defensive tackle who hasn't played since 2017 in the practice squad. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it sounds like Roderick Johnson was hurt. 
The Chris Clark experience was bad. Between Matt Schaub starting today, Alfred Blue getting cut, and Chris <laughs> Clark starting, like I'm so ready for this decade to end. Like I'm, I'm so, Matt Schaub did look pretty hot though in those Falcons jerseys. I will admit, I love those jerseys so much. But I'm ready for this decade to be over though. He had like 460 yards passing. Yeah, <laughs> they only lost by one possession. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, I can't wait to watch that game. And I, I can't. And the one thing that really shocked me the most about that game is I can't believe they let him ride one of those like mobility scooters as he was playing quarterback. I thought that was pretty nice of the league to let him do that. <laughs> I'm just glad he didn't die. I'm glad he got another shot at it <laughs> and didn't die all this time. Uh, we had we had another question from uh, at Steel Blue Times, which is Huggy Bear. If you don't remember him, he said, "If you had to choose between Teddy Bridgewater and Josh Allen, who would you give your heart to?" And uh, this is all about you, Matt. I'm not going to respond to this. This is all about you and your love and your heart hey, and how you feel. Five and zero franchise <laughs> quarterback. And this is kind of the point that you know I wanted to make, even back in 2014, was that the Texans weren't a rebuilding team. They just needed competency at quarterback, and they went with Ryan Fitzpatrick instead. And like everybody's like, "Well, Bridgewater is bad." No, he his leg exploded, and he had to come back from explode leg. And he has great accuracy and touch and pocket poise. And, you know, the arm's not very good. Or the arm's, like, fine. But he's so good at everything else. And, like, he needs to throw the ball downfield more often, that sort of thing. But uh, I'm so happy for him. And hopefully, uh, Drew Brees, like, figures it out that, hey, I need to sit. This guy's actually better than me. And I'm really hurting my teammates by being selfish and trying to play out there. Josh Allen was – he needs to th- – like, Allen needs to learn how to throw the ball downfield more accuracy. And but other than that, like he does just so many things I've never seen my do before. Like I can't wait until Josh Allen, like turns a quarterback sneak into a forty-seven yard touchdown because it's going to happen one of these days. Um, but you know the the one problem with the Bills though they have is Josh Allen's deep passing ability and they can't stop the run. And the Eagles ran all over them in that one. It was kind of like the the Panthers game too. The Panthers have a great pass defense, bad run defense, and the 49ers have a top five run offense that you know really crushed them. Yeah, and, and Josh Allen did something I'd never seen him do with all the games I've watched. He threw a touch pass accurately. I'd never seen him do He's that before. He's getting better. He's getting better. He's getting better. It uh, was a pass to a running back out of the – it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was so high up in the air. I've yeah. never seen one of those go that high. But because because Bridgewater is benched, I'll have to say Allen, but whenever Bridgewater is playing, I mean, he always, ha- he always has my heart. That, uh, that gif of him doing the dance at Louisville – <laughs> Everybody doing the same thing behind him is like my favorite thing in the world, but uh, yeah, I, I was I was upset Adam entering the season that he stayed in New Orleans. I was like, go start somewhere, stop being a coward and sit on the bench. But it's worked out for him, and so hopefully he gets a full time chance, you know, next year. Yeah, he's got Miami Dolphins written all over him. I he, they wanted to sign him this year, and it kind of worked out well that they didn't, uh, so he wouldn't die. But it would have been fun to watch Julian Davenport block for Bridgewater before Davenport broke his leg. Like, I wish Houston could could trade for Davenport back. Like, here's a six-round pick. Right. You know, here, let, let him start right tackle. Let's give this a shot again. Um, so the, the trade deadline's tomorrow, I guess, real quick. Like, I know there, a lot of people are throwing a lot of trades out there. They're saying, well, you know, what could we get for Terrell Suggs? What could we get for, you know, Ryan Kerrigan? What could we get for Vernon Golston? What could we get for uh, – what's that guy Atlanta has – Who's like thirty? Adrian Claiborne, you know, like that sort of thing. Like, oh gosh, are there are there any are there any trades at all that you see out there the Texans can make to improve their pass rush, or should they just kind of sit like Bill O'Brien talked about today that you don't want to pay, give give up too much for a half year rental? Uh, are there any trades out there that you see that you like from a Texans fan perspective? 
Not really. I just don't, I don't think we're going to get a guy that's going to impact us enough to give up yet more of our future collateral. I mean, at some point you have to see the position that we're out today. And again, I think this is a, another Houston Texan squad that's going to be, you know, it's going to make the playoffs just because we play in the dumpster fire that's the AFC South and we're going to be out in the first round. So I, 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 you can't mortgage more of the future because of that. Not, not that Bill O'Brien cares. I mean, clearly Bill O'Brien has absolutely no interest in any season beyond 2020 because his job's going to be online next year. Uh, but we're not going to make any more trades. There's, it's not worth it. It's not going to be worth the risk in return. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see any trades out there. Then you just kind of have what you have. And really, like, the way this team gets better and the only shot they have is that they – or run a more aggressive passing attack and Will Fuller gets healthy and they throw the ball downfield more often and they stop running on second and 10. They stop running it so much on first and 10. They start running more play action. They they like, they like they do what they did in the second half of this game against the Raiders, but they do it for four quarters uh, and they stop getting these slow starts and like they can't play catch up. Like every game, hey, they had to go into every game saying, we got to score 34 points. Hey, Big Matt, how many, of the, how many points have the Texans scored on their first drive of a game? This season? Yeah. I would say six. Zero. Zero. They didn't score three against the Saints? No, I thought it was zero. I thought maybe, I heard that. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Fairbear missed a field goal or something. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure it was zero. Yeah. But I, it's not very much. Yeah. I wonder what their first half point differential is. I feel like it's, it's negative 30. I don't know. I'm sure I can look it up pretty quickly. I think we're one of the worst teams scoring in the first half and the best scoring in the second half. Yeah. Like and, and again, like these aren't like genius adjustments Bill Bryan's making. These are doing what you should do that's blatantly obvious entering in the, into the game that you should just do right away. You know, I don't know. And he loves killing the block. He loves killing the clock so much too. You would think he want to jump off to a lead and just run the ball and punt over and over again. <laughs> that would truly be an exciting Bill O'Brien game. Yeah, for the, him, the new market inefficiency: kill the clock for thirty-seven minutes. Right. Wow. Um, yeah, and so that's all. I, I guess that's all we have for the show tonight. I guess the only two things I wanted to add, real fast, is I really like watching Max Crosby play. Like yeah. he's really charismatic. He's like has a great like jump off the snap and punch. Uh, not not he's and like he's not quick around the edge, but he has some pretty good inside moves. He's pretty strong. I think that was a great fourth round pick. And the other thing is that the Texans beat the Jaguars because uh, DJ Reader swallowed the hole up bounced Leonard Fournette on the shoulder, led to Justin Reed catching him at like a little bit of a slower pace to make a tackle one inch from the goal line and Gardner Minshew's first start, and they won 13-12. The Jaguars have figured out their running offense. They're throwing the ball downfield. They're playing at their second home, and this isn't like the same Jaguars team. And like even though they trade Jalen Ramsey, you know, Chris Herndon's been pretty good this year. Uh, A.J. Boye looks a lot better. He looks healthier again. And so, like, this isn't going to be the same sort of matchup it was in Week 2. And they're 500. Like, they're only one game behind the Texans. The Titans are 500 again now, too. So the whole AFC South is, like, is getting really weird and crazy. And so I think this is going to be, like, a, a really good, interesting, fun game this weekend. And, like, I can't see the Jaguars doing what they did their first matchup where they don't throw the ball downfield for 50 minutes and then, oh, crap, we're down by 10, let's do it. And they catch back and almost tie the game and win. And I don't think they're going to do that same thing uh, again this time. I got to say that DJ Chark has become one of my favorite players in the NFL. Yeah. He is a blast. And Conley had a great game again, too, last week. Yeah. And Marquise Lee's good. Uh, 
it kind of sucks that Westbrook got a little banged up with a neck injury again because he just started to get cooking again too. But yeah, I, I can't I can't see them doing that same thing they did last time. No, everybody's been saying, well, you know, the Jaguars they don't have a wide re- they don't have a wide receiver number three, much less number one. Oh no, DJ Chark. Legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. He's like he had that kind of breakout. He's having like that Adam Thielen sort of Stefan Diggs mm-hmm. breakout right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this week's gonna be fun, and like I think every Texans game is gonna be fun no matter what because Deshaun Watson is just fucking unbelievable and uh and like they're gonna keep them in every single game they're gonna hang around but at the same time like there's that other universe out there where it's hey this team is a one seed this team's a two seed this team's fine for home field advantage and we're not in that reality we're in this reality where like he's unbelievable and they fight for you know an AFC South title which is fun this is you know it's enjoyable I love watching Watson play, and the Texans have been more fun better this year than I ever thought they were going to be, especially considering the injuries and everything else. Uh, but it could be and like should be so much better. Yeah, it's like being the smartest person on the planet, and you're a janitor. That's Deshaun Watson sometimes, it but feels you, like. We're just you, wasting and ne- him. And you never find the chalkboard at all. Ever, yep. You, you never have thank, it. Thank you. You got the reference. Well done. Yeah, there we go. Uh, well, that's our show for tonight. We'll be... I don't have a computer at all, so I'm not going to write very much at all this week. I'm just going to go to bed really early, which is uh, a bummer. But we'll do the week eight preview on Friday night, and that will be up and available for you to listen to this weekend. And this weekend we have the the London Englands playing the Jacksonville Jaguars at 8.30 a.m. It should be a fun time. Well, I'm glad you brought your Teddy Bridgewater real doll. Yeah, he's, keep, he's, keeping me company. he's keeping me company in the hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> but until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for Smell Red Radio. And they for the outside